Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, it's Matt Harris. Seton is not here today, taking a little time off, but you'll hear her in a moment. I'm adding a little addendum, a little bit to the front of the podcast we previously recorded because things have come out about the Gloria Satterfield case. So let me get to that for you. Quick background, Gloria Satterfield worked for the Murdoch family home for over 20 years. She died in February of 2018 after a fall in the Murdoch family home. And as you know, if you've been following along, there was supposed to be a bunch of money that went to Gloria Satterfield's heirs, and it is missing, about $3.8 million. The sons were supposed to receive $2.76 million, somewhere thereabouts, with the rest going to attorney fees. And so, if you listen to the other podcast where we talked to the attorney for the Satterfields, the Eric Bland, you can get the whole story there. This is what happened uh, this week now, an update just before we released the podcast you're about to hear. Um, again, Alex Murdoch diverted more than $3.5 million death settlement money meant for the sons in a new court document that was filed this week. The distribution of the money to Gloria Satterfield's heirs was supposed to take part of an overall four-plus million dollar settlement. Instead, the heirs, Tony Satterfield and Brian Harriet, Brian Harriet got nothing. They were kept completely in the dark. The 2019 court-approved settlement of how the money was to be distributed was overseen by Circuit Judge Carmen Mullen, according to court records. And Satterfield's sons put their trust in Murdoch's in the document to handle Satterfield's insurance proceeds correctly. And then Murdoch, Fleming, and Westendorf. Let me back that up a little to let you know who people are, the players are. Alec Murdoch, of course, you know him. Then you got Corey Fleming, who we've been following along. You know he was college roommate of Alec Murdoch's and godfather to Alec's son, Paul, that was shot. And he's involved representing, he's supposed to be representing the Satterfield sons. And then you have uh, Westendorf, Chad Westendorf, who is the banker who took care of uh, the money and was supposed to divvy out the money. Now, in this document, it says, Murdoch, Fleming, and Westendorf all, quote, lied to the court in their handling of the money. Now, Bland's filing, Eric Bland, uh, also purports uh, to offer a more complete picture. He's got photocopies of checks, letters as exhibits, and he says that Murdoch allegedly knew what was going on, directed others to move settlement money away from Satterfield's heirs. So he's the mastermind kind of thing, but he's telling people to move stuff around according to the filing. It's all alleged. Copies of checks, he has that sort of thing. There's uh, uh, the checks that a false name for the recipient and were sent to a P.O. box in Hampton. Uh, lawyers for Satterfield Sons calling all parties involved in the case, Alec Murdoch, Corey Fleming, Chad Westendorf, to testify under oath on what about happened to the settlement funds. The documents also show, allegedly show, how Murdoch's former law firm, Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Detrick, which will be known to you when you look around as PMPED, 
also has Murdoch, another Murdoch family member in, but kicked Alec out uh, about a month ago. Uh, they says they were aware of the settled Satterfield settlement case early on, you know, alleged. Uh, and Judge Mullen, Eric Bland, has called on her to give a formal videotape deposition about what happened and her memories of what happened with the distribution of the floor plus million dollars in proceeds, which was supposed to go to Satterfield Sons, three plus million. And uh, Bland, Eric Bland said it's rare to take a deposition on a judge, but she was there to witness all this. And they want her in the courthouse on October 20th to give that deposition, which would be huge. Uh, Mullen, by the way, has recused herself from anything Murdoch-related criminal cases that will come up in the, uh, the counties. And finally, according to the documents, the Judge Mullen was misled by Fleming, Murdoch, and Westendorf. He says he was misled is what they're saying, but she still, they still want her to testify so uh, they can find out what she knew when, who she thinks was involved. Uh, now, PMPED, Alex's former law firm, has been distancing itself, saying they didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what happened. It was all an Alec deal. But in the lawsuit, the firm, they say the firm sent letters of representation of the estate to third parties, prepared probate documents for the estate, personal representative of the estate, notarized probate documents, exchanged emails with Corey Fleming and the beneficiaries. It goes on and on. Uh, PMAD considers, considers to say they had nothing to do with this. This is an all an Alex thing, and uh, we are not involved, and we're not happy about it. And so there's your latest update, and we want to thank the Island Packet for their great reporting they have done on the whole Murdoch family and all that surrounds them. Some of the things you'll hear in the podcast coming up have since changed. Whatever changed, we had it in this update. So just added it on because Seton's enjoying a day or two off. Uh, we will talk soon, but enjoy the latest pod. Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back, podcast friends and true crime lovers. Uh, I am Matt Harris. She is Seton Tucker. And welcome to the show. Hopefully you will rate and comment and share. And we will try to answer the massive amount of emails and comments that we've received, good or bad. We'd like to get back to you on it. And we take it all to heart. MurdochPodcast.com or the Murdoch Podcast Facebook page if you want to reach out. We'll get to some of the latest developments now. And Seton, start us off with the... Gloria Satterfield, nanny slash housekeeper of the Murdochs that in 2018 fell down the stairs and died. That case was reopened in the last few weeks because Eric Bland, who we had on the air with us, started a lawsuit for the Satterfield sons saying that they never received all this money that allegedly the insurance company had paid out. And we still don't know the whole story where the insurance money went, but we do have a settlement. And again, if you missed this, you can go back to the Eric Bland episode and hear his whole case laid out. But uh, Seton, what has happened with Satterfield? Okay, so we have a statement from Bland, the attorney representing the Satterfield heirs, uh, that he just released yesterday. And in the statement, he says on Friday, October 1st, they reached a settlement with attorney Corey Fleming and his law firm. And in this settlement, Fleming has agreed to pay back all 
expenses, and legal fees to the estate. In addition, their malpractice insurance carrier agreed to pay the estate their full policy limits of insurance. And he says, Mr. Fleming stepped forward and did the right thing by the estate. Mr. Fleming and his law firm maintain they, like others, were victims of Alex Murdoch's fraudulent scheme. And they're going to release a more complete statement in the future. And they also say they're going to continue pursuing other culpable parties who resist acceptance of responsibility for their part in this tragic matter. So Eric Bland has reached settlement, as she said. That is pretty amazing that that happened that quickly. Yeah. To me, anyway. Well, uh, and I mean, finally, the Satterfold heirs are going to get some justice that is deserved. Some of that money. And it is so obviously... Fleming's coming out and saying, I know I was his college roommate and his friend and the godson to Paul, but I was bamboozled by this whole thing. Yes. There's also Bland went on Fox News Carolina and um, talked to the reporter there, and he actually described some of what happened during the accident. He said there was a 911 call placed by Maggie. And Maggie and Paul were at the home, and apparently she fell down exterior stairs. stairs. There was blood found near her head. I guess she then suffered a brain bleed, which is why after initially she was not able to communicate. She never recovered from this brain bleed, and she was in the hospital for several weeks before she passed. Now, what's interesting to me when I heard that was, is there a 911 call somewhere? I, you would think right. there has to be. It was. I don't know how long they keep those. or And we know Ellick was not even there. Yes, and, and for a long time there was a rumor that it was only Paul there or there was no one there. We heard all those rumors, but now we know. Maggie placed the 911 call. So Maggie was at least there at some point. She was there, I mean, unless he she fell down the stairs and she came, came home. But Still, interesting little turn of events in that. Also, we want to discuss uh, the Daily Mail out of the U.K., and again, I, we should point out that the Daily Mail is very tabloidy. In fact, it's called a tabloid. Uh, and they have a little bit different libel laws uh, than we do in this country. However, that being said, this is what uh, the Daily Mail has had to say over the last few days about Alec and Maggie's relationship. Right. So they say they have a source that has known the family for more than three years. She describes their marriage as definitely on the rocks. She also goes on to kind of tell a little bit more about the financial situation. She talks about Maggie was at a charity event, and she wrote a check, and the check came back, bounced, and she called her crying, and that she was squirreling money away in her closet, um, and she doesn't know whether... He or she doesn't know whether this is because she was planning to leave or she just didn't have money to pay the bills. You're saying that's what the Daily Mail is saying, the source, source is say, telling them. Right. And I think she was embarrassed about this. Obviously, if you bounce a check and, you know, that comes back, it's a charity event. I'm sure you probably know the people doing it. It would be embarrassing. Yes. If, again, this, if it's all true. Right. And they talk about Alex's increasingly reckless drug use. She goes on to kind of describe a little bit about Paul, that she was worried with Summer coming up that she needed to keep an eye on him and that maybe he would be partying more. Um, and she felt the best way to do this was to kind of keep a good eye on him and spend time. She actually had requested his help with the dog kennels. I guess Maggie was 
loved the dogs. She was very fond of one of them. And on Sunday, she would go out in the late afternoon and spend some time with them in the kennels. And in the article, it also says that Alec really wasn't too close with the dogs, that he just kind of saw them as hunting dogs, nothing more than trackers, and that he rarely went down to the kennels where Maggie and Paul's bodies were found. Oh, and then another interesting thing, she describes Buster as very sweet, mama's boy. You know, obviously she didn't have nice things to say about Paul, which we've heard before. Just a reminder, Maggie and Paul were the ones who were killed in June. Uh, and this is falls on the heels of something we briefly mentioned in the other uh, episode about the spokesperson for Alec coming out and denying an earlier People Magazine report that Alec and Maggie's Murdoch marriage was in trouble. So this is the second one. The When they came out, we didn't really have a chance to go into it uh, much about it. Uh, but they said they went through Alec's phone and conversations between Alec and Maggie portray a very loving relationship. That is the quote. And um, we also want to straight something out from the ad episode. You said they threw peanuts that was at a baseball game, not at... I was very tired when I was reading that article. That's okay. <laughs> we just let me be on... Yeah, the you know, through penis. But here's the thing to me. And they came out and said a very loving relationship, and they went through his phone. Uh, it's hard to believe that there wasn't at least some arguments. Don't you have... We all have arguments with our spouses, let alone when you're going through the 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 pressure of your son being accused or even charged with driving a boat that fatally killed somebody. You have all the other things we've already talked about surrounding. They say Alec was on a 20-year run of opioid addiction, as attorneys have said. There's the... Uh, financial. We know there's some yeah. sort of financial. I mean, his own law firm is accusing him of taking money. Right. And, you know, he also, we know now with the Satterfield stuff, there was also additional money that was missing that was linked to him. And Alec's attorney, Dick Carpullian, has said, yes, he did take money from the law firm. So it's it's hard to believe that every single tiny text and every single thing between Paul or between Alec and Maggie would be totally 100% great. And that is not to make the leap that he did something to them. But for them to paint this picture, they never had a problem, seems a little bit absurd. Actually, in the same Daily Mail article, they talk a little bit about how he was acting after the murders of Maggie and Paul. They said he was acting like a desperate man, and they describe a situation where Alec was arguing with Buster, and in the, the quotes, you're the only parent I have left. So it okay, does, okay. obviously, extremely sad for Buster, Buster to, you know, have lost his mother and having a parent who is... Melting down. Melting down. And to be fair to uh, everybody, Alec, only thing he uh, has been charged with is the death by suicide by hire, uh, insurance fraud, that, and he has been let go of his company for taking money, but I don't think there's been a a, a physical charge on that. Right. right, His law license has been suspended. Now let's move to the reward for information about the murders of Maggie and Paul, which expired at the end of September. Right. So now we have a statement that was released from the spokesman for the Murdoch family, and it says, We are disappointed that no one has stepped forward with any leads to solve the murder and claim the $100,000 reward. At this time, the family is evaluating what additional steps can be taken to solve the murders of Maggie and Paul. 
So we will see what happens next with that. The other thing that has happened over the last few days is Vicki Ward, who used to work for CNN. She is a reporter, and now she is being accused of having bought information and videos from uh, somebody who works for Parker's, the attorney representing Mallory Beach's mother, we've heard, you've heard us mention Mark Tinsley a bunch of times, uh, says that someone with a Parker's convenience store, who of course tied into the boating accident, has been selling these, this information, which is confidential, to uh, Vicki Ward, and the sale would have violated state rules regarding confidentiality, and Tinsley says that's just the tip of the iceberg. They didn't give her any of the stuff that reflected poorly on Parker's. Why would Parker's be selling that stuff? I don't know. And Tinsley said Ward told uh, the firm about the sale, but he doesn't know who sold it. And Ward's attorney says this is a bunch of nonsense. She released a statement, said the allegations that I bought anything are false. I had a very pleasant meeting with Mark Tinsley, but there was obviously some crossed wires in our conversation, which you may have misinterpreted. I never bought anything from anyone for journalistic purposes, and I never would. I'm deeply sorry he got that impression. And Tinsley served Ward with a subpoena. Did you read in her affidavit, she explains how she was served the subpoena, that Tinsley had agreed to do an interview, and so she shows up at the law firm, and instead of doing the interview, she gets served with a subpoena. It's getting crazy in the uh, what they call the low country in South Carolina. Uh, Mitchell or Mitch Griffith, one of the lawyers representing Parker's, did not return to calls. And uh, so we're going to see what happens well, now. The other thing that was kind of interesting about this is what Tinsley is saying. Ward is claiming journalistic shield, but Tinsley said that she had already told him about her source, so that broke the journalistic shield. So we'll see how that plays out legally. And what did she get? And what were in those videos? And and what information does she have now? Something that's bothering somebody uh, somewhere. And the other thing about we need to mention with the civil suit in the Beach family, which all of that that we just talked about was in relation to the Beach civil suit. The motion to change venues, which was, I believe, filed by Parker's, yeah. uh, has been denied, so it will remain in Hampton County. Yes, I'm going to keep it local, and uh, that, that ties into what we're moving on to next, is one of the uh, people involved, and I think we talked a little bit about uh, last episode, but uh, is a representative of South Carolina who's going to be one of Parker's defense attorneys. He's also a politician. He's going in front of a, a judge whose job he, he decides the fate of. So that's why we bring in our legal analyst, former district attorney, former defense attorney, and uh, he is John Snyder. Hi, John Snyder. Hey there, how you doing? Great, great. Um, glad to have you back. There has been much controversy that has risen to national conversation now on how South Carolina handles judges. South Carolina and Virginia, the only two states where the state legislature appoints uh, judges. And that is odd and controversial. Why, John Snyder? I think it removes people's ability to hold their public officials accountable. And it entrenches power behind closed doors where people do not have input on people that are making decisions for their lives. And how this comes into play with this particular case and the Murdoch case is there's a couple of connections. 
One is, for instance, uh, Dick Harputlian is one of Alec Murdoch's attorney, and he is also in, in the state house, correct? He's in the state house, and, and at one point was the chairman of one of the major political parties in South Carolina, and is maybe may one of the most powerful Democrats in, in the state of South Carolina. And the other thing that comes into play uh, that ties in with this, Representative Merle Smith, a Republican of Sumter, South Carolina, is one of Parker's convenience store's defense attorneys. Parker's is the place where allegedly Paul and his friends bought alcohol the night of the boating accident that killed Mallory Beach. Smith, by the way, is chairman of the Judicial Merit Selection Committee. They decide which candidates can seek election or re-election. He's going to go in front of a judge who's Judge Hall, whose term is expiring next year. And if he chooses to seek re-election, he's got to get approved by Smith. So Smith's going in front of Hall, and Smith's kind of the guy who gets to decide if Hall keeps his job or not. That's right. So the, the, the very person that's dependent on having their job maintained is being asked to do something by the person that will determine whether their job will be maintained. Which makes it confusing. And even if the guy, uh, you know, even if he's a perfectly fair judge and no reason to think that he's not, the the look is not good. Uh, and it puts the judge in a weird position where he would be second-guessed and everything as well, right? Absolutely. The, the goal in the system is always to be above reproach so that when when a decision is made or something is, is finalized, people can go back and say, this occurred on the merits. This didn't occur because of a relationship of people involved, which in this case, we've had questions from the very beginning about how relationships have trumped law enforcement's standard conduct in investigating a case. It has trumped how the legal process is done in settlement, and it's all been done, and it goes back to one 53-year-old guy that's not even in the state yet. I want to read something from the Island Packet. David Lauderdale wrote, uh, because it's well said, too. Um, it's egregious that at least two lawyers who are powerful state legislators are working the courts in the bundle of cases to wash up so far in connection with the Murdoch family of Hamptons. Justice involving the Murdochs was already in doubt because they controlled the criminal justice system in this five-county area for 87 years as lead prosecutor for three generations. Now, anyone looking for justice is blinded by the oversized presence of State Senator Dick Harputlian, Democrat Columbia, who sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee and State House and Ways Means Chairman Merle Smith Jr. out of Sumter, Republican, who chairs his legislators' Jur uh, Judicial Merit Selection Commission working the courtrooms. Um, not against the law, but he calls it a cartoonish farce. Um, and that that just adds to the whole Murdoch mayhem. Well, I, I, I have zero uh, objection to, you know, elected officials selecting uh, various people to represent the state. But if you are appearing in front of a particular judge, and then you are the person that determines whether the particular judge maintains their employment as a judge, I would say you should recuse yourself from that. That doesn't mean you can't be on the committee and help appoint other judges. It just shouldn't be that you're the one picking judges. Imagine that you're going into court 
that judge is on the bench, then the lawyer that appointed, literally appointed that judge to the bench is on the other side of your case. Right. You're going to have great questions about whether justice is being achieved or not. How does um, malpractice work for a law firm? I know that uh, we discussed the Satterfield settlement earlier, and it involved some of the insurance that uh, Fleming's uh, law firm had. I talked to an attorney today, and she said she has a million-dollar uh, insurance policy. Is that the kind of numbers that are we're talking about? A firm of their size and their age, their stature, they probably have a policy limit that's closer to $5 million, or maybe it's a million an attorney, uh, or it's a million per transactional issue. And so my, my guess is that the insurance company paid out and and got a got the the boys rights assigned to them and they are gonna now be the ones pursuing Murdoch and the banker. Fleming's law firm for the insurance company they pay, the insurance company has to find it was not willful on Fleming's case. That's right. So so just because the insurance company is paid out doesn't mean they're done with Fleming. Okay. Okay. It just means they're they're done for now. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so now the insurance company becomes the plaintiff. Understood. You know, so if if everything's above board at Fleming and this law firm, which I believe it to be, and you know, we talked about I had this odd, you know, personal knowledge of, of the senior partner. Um, through through a college roommate, um, they're good people with a great reputation in town. So, if if that's accurate and it was above board, it would be normal for the insurance company to be like, "We're going to go ahead and pay this out, and then we're going to go after the people that did do things wrong." Gotcha. Okay, that explains it. Thank you, John. No problem. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, as always, we thank you for listening and we appreciate all your comments and emails through either Seton Tucker's Facebook page or Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com or the Murdoch Podcast Facebook page or the MurdochPodcast.com website. Who did I get them all? I think so. You can tell by my voice that it's getting later the end of the day. This is where somebody will write and say, get off the Red Bull and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't smoke. Uh, thanks again. Rate us. Share it. And Seton, talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, 
culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.